It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1, and it's part two of the mailbag. So for that, we bring in the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbly. So Chris, let's jump right into the mailbag, and our first question comes in from Peter Sawyer. He says, what's the story with this Leo trade how does draft compensation get affected by when he signs? How does the fifth become a fourth? So as far as I'm aware, and Chris, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, if the Giants sign Leonard Williams before the start of free agency and time is running out on that one, then that fifth rounder becomes a fourth rounder. Otherwise, it stays a fifth. At this point, if you're the Giants, maybe you have a wink-wink, nudge-nudge kind of thing going on with Leonard Williams where you tell him, you're going to spend the money to sign him, but you want to wait until after free agency starts so that you don't have to give the fourth. I don't know how that would work. There could be some sort of backroom deal with the agent, but also it could just be a matter of the Giants aren't ready to pony up $15 million for Leonard Williams yet, and they want to negotiate, and so it's not going to get done on time. Then again, it might. It might get done before free agency begins in a couple of weeks, so that fifth could still turn into a fourth. We'll have to wait and see, but that is basically the scenario that has to happen is the Giants have to sign Leonard Williams before free agency begins. Yeah, that's my understanding of it as well. I will point out that really, yeah, uh, it, it, it should matter. Like you, Obviously, you'd, you'd want the fourth-round pick over a fifth-round pick but it's already a win for the Jets. They got third round this year. And if you, if you look at the Giants right now, there's there's like the talk about how they would like to make a play for Yannick Ngakwe, but they don't have the draft resources now. If they had just waited, they could have used the draft resources they had to, that they used on Leonard Williams to get Ngakwe, who's a better player. Um, so Gettleman's impatience and de- decision to – Go and add Leonard Williams in a lost season. That already paid off. You already got that third and the fifth. Um, but if if they don't re-sign him beforehand, it's going to be a fifth. If they sign him the first day of free agency, I think it's going to be a fifth. Um, but, again, it's already a win for the Jets. They, they got that third and the fifth, and that was the best they were going to get. So I wouldn't get too upset about it. Again, you'd obviously rather have the fourth. But you take it because uh, they obviously weren't going to bring Leonard Williams back. Um, they get to have that extra third this year. And that's, that's really the whole key to, to everything right now. Getting that extra third, especially in this draft with uh, how deep the ride receiver class is, you know, maybe they could use uh, – they could go with one of the thirds with the wide receiver. They could go offensive line. They could go with a cornerback or – like 
There's so many different ways they can go with that extra third. And that, again, with this year being such a vital, crucial year to Sam Darnold and his development and Adam Gase and Joe Douglas, that third pick, that extra third round pick is so huge. And that's the meat of what this, this trade was about. Question comes in from Michael Palace. He says, now that Ngakwe is going to get tagged, two questions. A, should the Jets trade for him? And B, if they were to try and trade for him, would this be too much? The Jets would trade one of their 2023rds, their pick, not the Giants, and a conditional 2021 first rounder. It's a second that becomes a first if the Jets make the playoffs. I would absolutely look into trading for Ngakwe, and I know that a lot of Jets fans will say, you can't do that. They're not one player away. I understand that, but you're talking about a 24-year-old stud edge rusher, a position that is almost impossible to fill, and that, by the way, is going to be very difficult to fill in this draft because it's not a very good edge rusher class. Plus, even though this is supposed to be a really good pass rusher class in free agency, it looks like most of the best edge rushers, shock of shocks, are going to get tagged. And Gakwe looks like he's going to get tagged. Matthew Judon from the Ravens looks like he's going to get tagged. It looks like Bud Dupree is going to get tagged. So the only ones that are going to be available are Dante Fowler and Jadavian Clowney. Jadavian Clowney is going to get something like $20 million. And I don't think he's anything special as a pass rusher. Dante Fowler, who I've been down on in the past, actually looked like he hit his stride with the Rams this past season. Had a really, really good year. Best year of his career by far. So maybe he finally broke out. Or maybe he just did really well in a contract year. Hard to know. But that would probably be the guy that they would go after and that they should go after if they're looking for a good edge rusher who's going to be available without being franchise tagged. But Ngakwe is much better than any of those guys. And like I said, 24 years old. I know you have to pay him, but when you want an elite player at a premium position, sometimes you got to do things like that. I would be willing to trade next year's first rounder in a deal to get Ngakwe if I was able to make a deal like that. I'm not sure what else you'd have to give. I believe it was a one and a two for Frank Clark that the Chiefs gave up. Maybe you could get away with giving up less. Maybe it would be a one next year and a four this year or something along those lines. Or you give up a one next year and a four this year and you get back a sixth. I don't know. But I would certainly consider it. And I think that the price that you offered would probably not be enough to get it done. But it's definitely not too much for the Jets to offer. Chris, I know that we agree on how good Ngakwe is and that the Jets should absolutely try to get him. But I'm not sure if you agree with me on trying to trade for him. Yeah, I, I love Ngakwe. I love Ngakwe probably more than I should, but I don't I don't love the idea of trading draft picks to, to get him. I don't love the idea, especially with the first-round pick. I don't love the idea of parting uh, with one of those thirds. Obviously, you know, if you could do it for one of those thirds and uh, something cheaper, um, then, then we can talk. But a, a third and, net, and then a first in 2021 – I don't, I don't like that. You have to pay them on top of that. That we, we know that they're trying to go offensive line uh, in that first round. And then I, I want those two third-round draft picks because I, I want to come out of those, those top four picks with, with uh, probably two of receivers from this group. Whether they sign Robbie, re-sign Robbie or not, I, wanna, I want two receivers out of this draft class. Um, you know, now you're going to be able to get – you're probably going to be able to get uh, somebody really good in the fourth round too. 
So you could do that. Uh, I'm not saying there's not ways around it, but as much as I love Ngakwe, I don't love the idea of parting with uh, multiple draft picks and then paying him on top of it. This team has too many holes to fill. And, you know, if they had the amount of draft picks the Dolphins had, then sure, go ahead, package a couple of them together. But they have just that extra third-round pick and then uh, that, that extra fifth coming next year. Otherwise, it's just what the, the regular picks. I, I They don't have enough for me to feel comfortable trading away those with all the other holes they need. And then also, of course, we're back to my point of I want to spend all this uh, draft capital, early draft capital on offense. I hear you. And if Ngakwe was 28 or 29, like Matthew Judon, who is obviously nowhere near as good as Ngakwe anyway, then I would be very hesitant because that's more of a win now move. But to get a 24 year old who plays the most important position on the field other than quarterback and who could be a real havoc causer for years to come. And he's somebody that you could spend draft picks for the next 10 years trying to get a guy as good as him at edge rusher and failing miserably. So I would absolutely be willing to discuss a trade like that. I'm not sure Douglas would because I know he loves his draft picks. But then again, he also supposedly really likes Yannick Ngakwe and on top of that understands the value of a pass rush. So we'll see. I don't anticipate the Jets going crazy and trying to make some sort of Khalil Mack offer for Ngakwe. But I absolutely believe that Joe Douglas, if nothing else, will do his due diligence and see what it would take. I don't think that he would be one of the front runners to get a deal done for Ngakwe, but I suppose crazier things have happened, especially if he goes through free agency and isn't able to land somebody like Dante Fowler and if Jordan Jenkins leaves and then he looks at the edge rusher class and sees it barren and looks at Yannick Ngakwe, who's 24 years old and can be that piece for many years, then maybe he says, you know what, I'm going to make an aggressive offer. But there's a lot to play out in free agency and we'll see what happens. Like I said, wouldn't be 100% shocked if he gets into the mix, but I don't expect him to make some sort of like crazy bid or anything like that. Next question comes in from Mike John. This is more for you than me, Chris. He says, why do beat reporters for a team push a clear agenda of a coach that fans can easily see through? Also, is week six when we should expect the articles about Sam Darnold joining Le'Veon Bell as the quote-unquote problem with the Jets' offense? So I'm going to let you answer this in a second, Chris, because you have more insight into this. But I can't really get inside the heads of reporters. I think if you look at it carefully, you could sort of figure out why they might do whatever it is you're accusing them of, if that's what they're actually doing. And as far as Sam Darnold being blamed for the Jets' offensive woes, if the Jets do have offensive woes in 2020, we've already seen the groundwork laid for this. We've seen several, is Sam the right guy? Can Sam learn the offense? Are there questions to answer about Sam Darnold articles out there? We heard whispers that at a certain point in the season last year, Gase was bad-mouthing Darnold behind the scenes at one Jets drive. Now, that didn't last all that long, but it did happen for a point in time. So if Darnold were to struggle for a significant period of time, especially with Gase's reputation of souring on guys very quickly, I wouldn't be surprised if the narrative gets spun that way in certain corners. Chris, you can talk about this better than I can because you're on the Jets beat. You have the floor, sir. All right, so I got to be a little careful here. Uh, because if I say the wrong thing, I could get my credentials pulled here. So, um, but I'm going to start by saying, just like you said, I can't get fully in their heads. Um, 
so I, I, I can think and I can feel exactly like many fans do about certain reporters and things they put out there. And I will just say that I agree with the general consensus on some of this stuff. Um, there is obvious uh, some obvious stuff going on right here. The idea that Darnold needs to step the F up after two seasons and he had mono, but we need to rally around Gase and give him time, even though he's already failed and we can see exactly what a mess he created last year. I couldn't disagree with that premise more. Um, I, of course, Darnold needs to get better and, but that's on the coach. That's on the coach who was hired specifically to get the most out of him. That's the thing that baffles me about that. Any criticism you have of Darnold, fair, unfair, whatever, that has to be placed right at the feet of Adam Gase too. You can't sit here and say that it's Darnold's fault and uh, and Gase is absolved to blame when Gase was brought in here specifically to get the most out of Darnold. Um it, it ignores the fact that the offensive line was an absolute disaster last year. It ignores the fact that Robbie Anderson was the only competent uh, – or him and Jamison Crowder, but even Crowder went through stretches last year where he kind of disappeared. And if I go and I sit there and I break down the tape, I'm going to pin a lot of that blame on Gase. Um, I can't just sit here and just flat out say that these reports are coming out just because of access. I think there's a, a large part of it is just recognizing that Gase was hired last year in his first season. And though, even though fans want wanted him fired or a lot of fans wanted him fired, that it's just, it wasn't going to happen. So knowing that it's not going to happen, you you start, they start from that viewpoint knowing it's not going to happen. So they're just going to go run with that anyway. But yeah, there's, there's, there's gotta be some, I, no one's going to blame fans for thinking that it's access related. I think that's got to play a, a little bit of a part in it. Um, again, I can't get in his head, but I think it's more of just, all right, fans might want him fired, but it's, it's not going to happen. I said this with McCagnan too. Like, when everyone – the year before McCagnan and Bowles got fired, everyone was talking about uh, – you know, a lot of fans were complaining about it. And I was saying, I agree with you, but it's not going to happen. So there's only so much I'm going to talk about it. And I think that other reporters take a little different viewpoint of it there. Well, it's not going to happen, so let me defend why it's not going to happen. Just because it's not going to happen doesn't mean it shouldn't happen. If I feel like it should happen, you're going to hear that from me. But I do think other uh, reporters just go, okay, it's not going to happen. Let me defend it. And you get kind of get caught up in it. And then there's also the fact that a lot of reporters just – they talk to the, their sources and their people, and they just trust what their sources say. And I'm not even talking about, like, smokescreen type stuff. But they, they sit here just like you hear all the time when people say, oh, well, they're employed by an NFL team. They're, or they played in the NFL. They obviously know more than you do. If you knew more than they did, then you'd be employed by an NFL team. A huge chunk of reporters around the league have that mindset. 
they sit there and they go to their go-to sources who are employed by teams and they say, they know more than I do, so I'm just going to run with it. So they hear people inside the building defending Gase and defending this stuff and they just run with it. And they say, oh, okay, they know better than me, so this is what I'm going to run with. Um, I tend to not trust people. Um, no, like I'm much more cynic of a cynic than a lot of others. And I don't just say, Hey, you work for in the NFL team. So you know more than me. And that's not, a, that's not about me thinking that I know so much as much as I know how incompetent a lot of people are that are hired in this league. Again, this isn't just a jets thing. You can look around the league. Um, just, just look at the Jags, what has happened to them over these last couple of years. They had the, an, a great all, like elite defense. All those guys are gone now, but they, brought, they ran it back with Blake Bortles. Everything is falling apart. They mishandled the Jalen Ramsey situation. Now they're mishandling the Yannick Ngakwe situation. They're in cat hell. Um, this is just an absolute disaster. You can't point at that Jags front office – and say they know what they're doing. They're employed by NFL teams. No, they they ran that into the ground. They had great things and they just destroyed it. This happens all around the league. But report, reporters are too quick to just defer to them and not use their own critical thinking. Um, and yes, if they struggle, I absolutely expect to see more of Darnold getting thrown under the bus. Uh, this isn't actually Adam's guy. Yeah, Adam feels like he can't get it done with this guy. And you're going to see a lot of that, but you're not going – It's again, this has to go back to Gase being hired to get the most out of him, especially if they go and they get uh, – seriously improve the offensive line, bring Robbie back, assign, uh, draft a couple receivers, get more weapons, and then it's still struggling. It's, it's going to have to be laid at the feet of the coaches. And I just don't know how quick uh, other reporters are going to be to to do that, uh, to go ahead and lay the, the blame at his feet. Um, I, I, listening to me talk right now, you might say that I'm just going to hammer Gase no matter what, but that's not the case either. As much as I'm not a believer in Gase, if it plays out and they fix everything else and I think Gase is using him on the move, uh, you know, getting him on the run more, having him move outside more, and Darnold's just not getting it done, then I'll criticize Darnold. But, again, I think it comes down to a little bit of access and more just reporters just being willing to trust whatever the people they go to tell them. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com.
With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Tom Hind. He says... Assuming Ruggs, Judy, and Lamb are Tier 1 wide receivers, who would you consider Tier 2, and who could be available for the Jets in Rounds 2 and 3? This is an insanely deep wide receiver class, and like you said, those three guys I think most people believe are Tier 1. As far as Tier 2, there are a lot of really talented receivers. Michael Pittman Jr., who was Sam Darnold's teammate at USC. He's got tremendous size. He's somebody that could go anywhere between rounds two through four. He's a little on the slower side, so that's why he might not go as high. T. Higgins from Clemson. Apparently, his stock is dropping. At one point, people thought he would go in the first round. He could drop all the way to the third, but then again, all it takes is one team to really like him and pick him in the first round, so there's a possibility there. Jalen Rigor. Now, this is the guy that I really love for the Jets if he somehow falls to 48 I don't know that he's going to the only thing that I'm hanging my hat on is he didn't do that great at the combine people were expecting a lot more I'm not somebody who really puts that much into the combine I think what you do on tape with pads on and a helmet on is much more important but you never know what's in the head of some of these draft guys if he somehow drops down to 48 he would be perfect for the Jets. Just an explosive playmaker with all kinds of speed. So I'd love to see that. Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State's another one. He's got really good size. Denzel Mims is somebody who's really rocketed up the board, but I don't think he's going to be available in the second round. I think he's going to wind up going no later than 21 to Philly at this point. LaVisca Chenault is another one, but his stock is also dropping. So he's somebody that could unexpectedly be available on day two or three, where as a while ago, you would have thought he was probably going late first round or early second round. So those are your candidates, I think. I may have missed one or two here and there, but this is a really deep wide receiver class. The guy that I would love the Jets to get if they could is Rigor at 48. I don't know how realistic that is. Beyond him, maybe Brandon Ayuk makes it there. If not, I think Pittman might make it to the third or fourth round. And then you've got other possibilities, too. The two Jeffersons, Justin Jefferson now with his workout, may have elevated himself into the first round. And Van Jefferson, who's Sean Jefferson, the wide receiver coach's son, he's another possibility that could be in the third or fourth round because he's coming off an injury that we found out about at the Combine. So there's just... 
so many receivers. It really just kind of depends on what type of receiver you want to get because there's something for everybody in this draft. And I think there's no reason that the Jets couldn't come away with as many as two quality wide receivers between rounds two and four if that's the route they choose to go down. I'm going to say my normal thing I always say every draft year, especially when it comes to receivers. Receivers, there's such a high variance on the type of receiver teams are looking for. Um, so it's it's like asking to rank receivers uh, going into the draft is such an impossible task because every team values different things in receivers. And may, maybe they might value similar things uh, in a vacuum, but based on the construction of their uh, the, what they already have at receiver, they might be looking for more of a deep threat. With so maybe there's a team out there that would rather draft Henry Ruggs than Jerry Judy. Um, we've talked about this with uh, C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy. Uh, somebody might like C.D. Lamb more than Jerry Judy because of the yak that is taking a picture they get out of it. Uh, somebody might want more of the bigger frame to go up and get uh, the jump balls. So it's it's really an impossible task to sit here <clears throat> and really rank the receivers. You can rank them to your own ability, but we've seen this numerous times before where there's a bunch of receivers and a, con- a consensus a receiver that most people have ranked above them it slips to somebody a little bit lower because they like the speed of that guy more. Um, and in this draft pass, uh, class in particular, it's going to be even crazier because uh, I forget what the number was, uh, but like Dar- Daniel Jeremiah said, he's got like close to like 30 receivers with uh, first uh, three round grades on them. Like that's insane. That's an insane number. And if there's I, – now I saw a lot of people pushing back on it going, that's a little high, but okay, fine. But even if it's close to that number, that means that you're probably going to be able to get a, a, a third-round graded talent at receiver in probably the fifth round. So uh, you brought up Van Jefferson from Florida, Sean Jefferson's uh, kid, and – you know, when I'm watching combine, especially or before the combine, you hear about a player get injured, and I'm all I. No matter who the player is, I get upset about it because I'm like, that sucks. That player's gonna lose lose some money. Um, just the timing of it. That's just how how the draft works. You're gonna get knocked down a little bit, um, unless you're like you know Chase Young type. We're talking the top of the top. But I, my immediate reaction was, hey. Maybe that means the Jets will have a better shot at getting him in the fourth round now. Um, He's better than a fourth-round receiver, but in this draft class, with just getting injured, you might be able to get him in the fourth round. Um, You went through a bunch of names. Uh, uh, There's a lot of names here. I'm going to have trouble pronouncing. Uh, The the LaVishka Seedalt, T. Higgins, Justin Jefferson. I think they're all possible round one guys. Brandon Ayuk probably – uh, Rigor, Pittman, those guys. Mims is somebody I love. There's Tyler Johnson from Minnesota. Donovan Peoples-Jones is from Michigan, mm-hmm. who if Michigan only had competent quarterback play, I think would be a, a much uh, – go as a much higher draft pick. Brian Edwards from South Carolina. Um, you know, Colin Johnson from Texas. Chase Claypool, guy yeah. we've talked about a couple times 
coming up out of Notre Dame. He tested uh, incredibly well at the combine. They worked him out as like, um, you know, at tight end there as well. He very, very much reminds you of Quincy Inunua, just his uh, his build and the way he moves, the size and speed. So uh, there, there is no shortage of options at receiver here. And this is why I want to come away with at least two of them, those top four rounds. And like I said, there's you're going to be able to get somebody with a second, third round grade, probably in the fourth, maybe even the fifth. This receiver class is that, that deep. That's going to wrap up part two of the mailbag. Make sure that you're following Chris on Twitter at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. Read his very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com where you will also find some terrific writing from Michael Nania. Do not forget, if you have not given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. It would help out a lot. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't take you much time, but it's a huge help to us. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And if you haven't subscribed to the brand new podcast series, Badlands, with Joe Caparoso and Connor Rogers yet, I can't recommend enough how much you need to do that. It's a 10-part series with 10 different A-level guests. Manish Meadow, who you hear on this podcast every week, came on the program. Alex Jimo, who I think was the best one because she was there as team reporter in 2016. So she had firsthand experiences to talk about, including an incredible story about a one-on-one conversation she had with Woody Johnson after the Jets got bludgeoned by the Kansas City Chiefs that ended up leading to a closed-door meeting with the players. So if you want to hear how that developed, you got to subscribe to the series. Mike Tanier and Matt Miller from Bleacher Report were both on Matt Miller to talk about the Jets' drafting mistakes over the last decade. And overall, the series takes a deep look at how the Jets messed up this past decade, what went wrong, and how they can start to turn things around and get things going in the right direction. Can't emphasize enough how great this series is and how much you really need to subscribe if you haven't already. You can do so at Podbean, or you can find the information on Twitter, at jcaparoso and at Connor J. Rogers. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, don't forget to visit the place that is your home of the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts. And that, of course, is Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.